My name is John. I'm on staff here, uh, in case we haven't met before. Uh, I'm going to be a guide of sorts as we continue our journey on this Christmas journey that we've been talking about uh, over the course of December as we lead up to Christmas. Um, So my wife's name is Jessie, and Jessie and I are uh, trying to figure out how do we explain to our 21-month-old Gabe uh, about Christmas? How do we boil it down to a 21-month-old and um, not just toddler age Christmas explanation, but also beyond that, you know, as we think about just how we're going to be articulating this to him in the, in the coming years. And uh, one of my attempts is... We're celebrating Jesus' birthday. You know, that's, that's one attempt to try and make it toddler-friendly. Uh, but uh, a, as we're doing this, I, I, I have been noticing the celebration is a common way that I would describe what Christmas is about or celebrating something. And, uh, but yet, as I do that, I'm not into like fake celebrating, Anybody here like to fake celebrate? I don't know. I'm not into it. I also don't like forced celebration. I'm not into like forced celebrating. If I'm going to celebrate, I want it to be authentic. I want it to come from a place of it almost happens. It's uh, like a reaction of celebration. And uh, also, as I do this, I start thinking to myself, um, there's a lot of things happening that are not celebratory, that aren't worth celebrating. First, the way I work, I go like big. I'm like, there's wars, there's famine, there's, there's refugee crises, there's all these things. These are not like, yay, let's celebrate. But then I go to, this can actually be a really painful, hard season for people. Uh, A lot, number of folks who immediately their faces come to mind, even, even places in my own life that make it hard. But um, significant loss in this season, maybe this very season or a Christmas season of the past, or just in general, uh, life-threatening illness, uh, family dysfunction, uh, and the pain that that can cause. We have these different places that uh, can be challenging and can be hard in the midst of celebration that's happening all around. Um, and yet, there, there is this place of celebration, and we're going to look at that um, this morning. But I, I just find myself, and have been finding myself, uh, again, trying to boil it down to a 21-month mind. What, what's with all the celebration, especially in the midst of all this, that could be hard for it? And so, uh, before we go down that path, I do, I do just want to say... This, there is grace in this place to not fake, okay? So if you're in a place, even as we, we talk about in this story, we're going to be looking at the shepherd's journey, uh, this place of cel- celebration, uh, if you can't get there, that's okay. Uh, there's not a forced celebration happening. Uh, but we're going to be looking at this story to see what, what is uh, what is so celebratory? Uh, what is this place of celebration? Uh, because the shepherd story really uh, draws out some of some of these places. Uh, so, why is the shepherd story 
so celebratory. Uh, we're going to move to, we're going to begin at the end. Have you ever watched a movie where the movie starts at the end? Or it starts in the present reality. You watch it, and then the whole rest of the movie or TV show is going back in time, and then you're leading up to what happens. Well, that's kind of the nature of what we're doing this morning. So if you could turn with me to Luke 2.20, we're going to be looking at, at the end here, and then we want to go and say, what, what is so celebratory uh, about this about this, the shepherd's story. Luke 2.20 says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So put yourself back in the scene. You've just seen it up here with the shepherds. I, I love <laughs> my favorite not that we should have favorites, but was the one on the far side, the shepherd? I don't know. I just thought he was hilarious. But the counter, the statistician. Um, but So just put yourself back in the scene. Uh, I want to read Luke 2.20 through the message version. Uh, there's something I like about how Eugene Peterson brings it out. The sheep herders returned and let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen. It turned out exactly the way they'd been told. So why are the shepherds so celebratory? Uh, it, from 2.20, it seems that what they had seen and what they had heard is key. And then it says, you know, what they had been told. That This seems to be a key as to why they let loose and they kind of move on praising, celebrating, uh, God. Okay, <clears throat> little thing on the screen, going back a little bit. Uh, to Luke 2.8, so we're going to go back a little bit earlier in the story. And we're going to read, we're just going to kind of slowly but surely make our way through this story. So Luke 2.8, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks, at night. So the shepherd's story, it begins in this place of the mundane, uh, the normalcy of life. I like it in the, the play that happened, the shepherd is same old, same old, day in, day out. Uh, I thought that captured it pretty well. Um, and they also said, to quote the play, nobody cares about us, nobody notices us. And see, in, this is a little bit of a generalization, but in the society of that time, there were generally two groups of people. And what was going on is you had this really small group of people. We'll call them the urban elite. Uh, or typically, they, they were the, the landowners who had essentially all the power, all the authority. Um, they had access to resources very small group of people, and their goal in life was to increase their sense of notoriety and prestige in the world at all costs. So especially if they could uh, suppress everybody else and keep building their so-called honor. Uh, then there's the, in a lot of ways, again, a little bit of overgeneralization, but this is sort of how it worked. There's the rest of culture. 
and, and, and the people in the society. And they were mostly a variety of types of peasants. And the shepherds would fit in that category. Uh, most of the shepherds probably weren't landowners. Some may have had a little bit of land. But even at that, probably unable to have a sense of security that they could regularly meet all of their needs. And so it's in this world that these angels appear to these people who were quite vulnerable. Nobody notices, nobody cares. And yet, Luke 2.9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So we go from the mundane, something of heaven breaks into this earth, uh, angelic visitation, but even more than just an angel, something about this, the literal glory of God himself breaks in and shines in the midst of the darkness. And the angels are left terrified. Uh, I remember a, a professor of mine used to say, um, when God or an angel appears to you, appears to people in the Bible, uh, the people who shouldn't be afraid usually are afraid, and the people who should be afraid usually aren't afraid. And uh, that's kind of always stuck with me here. And uh, so anyway, we've got the shepherds, and their reaction is, this is terrifying. But the angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So the activity of heaven, it breaks into this world in this story. And it breaks in, in, in some ways, at, at minimum, a very ordinary place, and maybe even more as we read the story, uh, an unexpected place as it breaks in with these shepherds. And they're terrified. If I could summarize the angel's response, uh, this is sort of the John Prickett modern day paraphrase translation. It would be, do not fear, your Savior is here. Do not fear, you don't have to fear, because there's a Savior that's here. Now, I don't know all of what was going on with the shepherds at that point in time. It's a little bit hard to just kind of transpose my brain into their brain. Um, but there was something significant in this message about uh, a Savior that was coming. And that's core to this message and that it was connected with the reason they didn't have to fear anymore, even as the glory of God himself is around them. As I was thinking about that, uh, preparing for this, I, I thought of a story, we'll kind of jump 2,000 years uh, ahead here, uh, from, from my life. There was, I used to be a college pastor, and so I was, this college student came to me, uh, we'll call him Jesse, because his name was Jesse, and uh, I think he's okay with sharing this story. Uh, it's a powerful story, actually. So Jesse, um, he came in, and he was a gifted, gifted worship leader, very prophetic, uh, for others, and really bright, a really bright 
kind of intellectual thinker. And, uh, and yet he came to me, and, and he was saying, I'm, I'm having a real hard time because I don't have any interest in going into God's presence. Um, I'm really afraid, actually, of drawing near to God. And the way he put it was... Um, I'm afraid to get into God's presence because I feel like every time I try to meet with God, I'm turning in a bad progress report. I don't feel like I'm doing well enough. I feel like I keep failing God. And at that, he went on and he started to describe what I would say is sort of some like intellectual reasons for why this was the case for him. Uh, I paused him at, at some point through Maybe I was nicer than that. Maybe I waited till he shared all of his thoughts. But at that, I asked him if he'd be willing to just ask Jesus directly what he was doing with this report card and what he thought about this report card. And Jesse was okay with this. So I encouraged Jesse to close his eyes and to ask Jesus to come and be with him and then to ask him, I said, Jesse, ask Jesus this question. Jesus, what are you doing with this report card. And he just sat there with his eyes closed, and I was just watching. And as he sat there, tears just started to stream down his face. And, and he started to sniffle. And he just sat there in this chair in my office, and he just started to weep. And uh, I didn't want to interrupt the moment, so I let whatever, I had no idea what was happening, uh, but I just let the moment happen, and, uh, and then eventually I, I just asked him what was happening. I said, Jesse, what's happening? He said, Jesus came over to me, he took the report card, and he walked over to a cross, and he nailed it on the cross. He turned back to me and walked over with a smile on his face, and he just started hugging me. And he just keeps hugging me. And even as he's telling me, he's saying, he's just smiling at me and hugging me. And uh, it was a powerful moment of Jesse, who actually had grown up, in a church, he knew Jesus, but experiencing Jesus again as his Savior. Nailing all the things that were distancing himself from an intimate relationship, from closeness, from the, uh, that, that were causing a sense of fear or even dread of getting close to God and coming into his presence. And, and Jesus took it, nailed it to the cross, and started hugging him. What uh, unfolded was 15, 20 minutes for the first time in months, Jesse had this extensive conversation with, with Jesus and uh, spoke to some deep places in his life. Do not fear the saviors here. That's good news. There's good news. But I would propose to you that that's not all of the good news that the shepherds are celebrating. I want to read uh, Luke 2, 10 through 12 again. So it says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, 
a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. See, a Savior who doesn't come for you isn't very good news. And it's not going to cause a whole lot of joy if you recognize you need a Savior, but he didn't actually come for you. Uh, A Messiah, uh, the the king that was coming to bring deliverance, to, to set up a new, a better, a kingdom that would be to deliver people, that would be all these beautiful things. Think Um, We're not going to go there, but Isaiah 61, all the power of that passage. This king, but if you don't get to be a part of that kingdom, that's not very good news. The good news, and I, I think a key to what the shepherds are celebrating, and maybe what helps us understand today what we're celebrating, is that the babe the baby in the stall came for all. A savior that only came for a couple people, it's not that great of news, but the baby that came for all, that is good news. And uh, the king who came to include all. So we talked a little bit about the the social landscape. I want to talk about the religious landscape. Again, we're trying to simplify here, but the religious scene at this time that the shepherds are living in uh, is largely consumed with this question, who's in and who's out of God's family? It's like, just think the worst of middle school and kind of transpose it onto this highly religious environment. Who's in, who's out? of God's people. There's debates, there's all sorts of stuff. Oh, you know, the, the, the context around how significant circumcision and, and Sabbath obedience and, and, and dietary restrictions is, is so largely connected to whether or not you get to be a part of God's family or not. And I'll tell you, the, the elite, the, the, the a religious elite, they were drawing some really narrow boundaries around who would get to be a part of that community. And it was pretty hard to get into uh, that group of people. And so this is the scene as, as this is unfolding and this message comes. This is going to be good news that causes great joy for all the people. The babe in the stall has come for all. It's good news that's going to be great joy for all. And so there's something about this baby in the stall that is going beyond just you've got to have the right religious pedigree or you've got to speak the right language or your, your expertise in and how you obey all these laws, it's got to be just right. Or, too bad you didn't get born in the right part of the world. Uh, too bad you don't get to be a part of this kingdom. But this message that's coming here is that this babe in the stall, it's a whole different deal now. Because he's coming and has come for all. See, this is something that uh, is a real 
conviction that, that we have around here as a church, actually. And uh, if you'll remember, a few months ago, we sent out uh, a, a family, the Mastersons. And, and it was because they believed in this. And that it was this conviction that this king, this babe, uh, this Jesus, that he was the savior, not just for Bostonians, though they're a part of the all, uh, but that all over the world that this king is coming and this kingdom is available for people all around the world. And that it all has to do with this baby, this Jesus. So one of those folks in our midst who, um, who's been, who had been spending their life like this for a while is Lindsay. And I don't know if any of you know Lindsay, but can we give Lindsay a round of applause here? Lindsay's going to share something with us. <laughs> and uh, Lindsay has been, believes this to the core of her being. And she's been living this. Uh, and so I wanted to ask her to share, share a story about what this um, looks like and has looked like in uh, a person's life that, anyway, she's going to share with us. Morning. So like John said, um, this news of Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. And, um, and the Spirit of God is moving all over the world in every, every part of the world, even in really dark places where it seems like nothing's happening. And I want to tell you a story about a guy that I'll call Mohammed who um, two or three years ago, in one of those very dark countries in, the, in North Africa, um, the kind of place where people cut off your head if you leave Islam, and um, the kind of place that prides itself in being 100% Muslim, um, he met Jesus. And his story is that he, he came from a family that was very strict Muslim, just like everybody else in their area. Um, there's a lot of pressure to conform to a certain brand of Islam. And um, his story is that his father was actually physically abusive. And so for him, he just didn't see a whole lot of love in this religion that everyone was strictly following. And he felt hopeless. And so um, another thing about him is that he was very music. He is very musically gifted, and he was looking at YouTube videos online and came across some worship videos. And he was just struck by this music and started searching around online and got in touch with the pastor of a church in Texas and started corresponding with him, asking him questions. And then he wanted to meet some Christians in person. So there's an international church in the capital city of his country, and locals aren't allowed to go to it, but foreigners are free to worship there. And so he went and knocked on the door, and they let him in, and he started coming on once a week to their choir practices and started learning the songs, started learning to, learning to play the songs on his guitar, and got connected with um, a missionary couple there, and the husband started um, just meeting with him, answering his questions, and he gave his life to Jesus. And so the really cool thing is that um, 
he has started writing some of the first worship songs in the local dialect, and I wanted to play one for you. Um, so I'll tell you a rough translation of what he's saying. Okay. It says, I long to see you always, to see you save, save me like you saved me. I long to see you always, to see you love them like you loved me. You opened my eyes and you straightened out my life. You straightened out my heart and my heart aches for you. I long to see you and for you to tell me things, to tell me stories and your thoughts for us to chat together. You teach me your love, how I see you in the world. Stay by my side. Your presence protects me. Always speak to us with your word. Teach us. Oh, my Lord Jesus. Oh, my Lord Jehovah. Oh, my Lord Spirit. خاطري نشوفك ديما تخلص زي ما خلصني خاطري نشوفك ديما تحبهم زي ما حبتني تفتح العين ونسامح حياتي كلها so praise the Lord that worship is rising up all over the world. It's so powerful that the one in the stall laying in the straw would be the king that would be for all, that would be the savior for all, uh, and would bring a kingdom that would be for all people. That's just amazing. Um, and it would come back to this baby and who this baby is and who this baby would become. Now the shepherds, they're not yet letting loose at the sound of this, uh, at this message. Uh, but what we see is it's like heaven can't wait. So heaven just sort of breaks into the scene at this point. And uh, supposedly it's 244, 244 of the heavenly host break in. That's a reference to the play in case you missed that. Um, and they say, they're praising, and they say, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now as I, as I was sitting with this passage, I found myself thinking, Okay, it seems like there's this whole deal about this Savior, this Messiah, this Lord is coming for all. And yet, what's up with the peace on earth for those whom God's favor rests? And oh, one of the things as I've been sitting with this, I just want to state, this phrase actually is very uh, complicated in terms of how to translate. And so you'll notice that at the bottom of a number of different types of Bibles. It's like, or it could be this, or it could be this. And um, so I don't want to get lost in that. But I, I found something that I think is really helpful. Uh, and it was a guy named Joel Green. 
who's a scholar, and he has a commentary on Luke, and he said this, although whom he favors is an affirmation of gracious election on God's part, the graciousness extends to all humanity. It should not be read in an exclusive sense. That is, not peace only to a select group whom he favors, but in an inclusive way. In the birth of this child, God's mercy has fallen on the world. I like that. That's powerful. God's mercy has fallen on the world in the birth of this child. <laughs> it reminded me of another story that, um, of a guy a few years ago. Some of you may know him. Uh, a man named John Wimber. He was a leader of the vineyard movement of churches for many years. He passed away in the 90s. But he tells this story that I think captures some of the essence of what is coming forth in this angelic proclamation. He was trying to pray for the sick a lot. So he had this whole deal. You know, I, he felt like God was saying, even though... Every time you've prayed for the sick, they either get worse or nothing happens. I want you to keep praying for the sick because I want you to preach my word and not your experience. And so he goes on this journey of walking this out. And nine months in, he goes into a woman's home who's, who's sick and fully expecting that she is not going to get better. She gets healed. And he's so surprised uh, as the story goes, he's already rehearsing his narrative about why God doesn't heal everybody. And, and she gets healed. And so uh, he's, he's leaving the house, and this is how he describes his processing and then something that happened. Uh, uh, he says, it really works. I thought, I thought that as I went on my way towards my home. God used me as a vehicle of his healing mercy. Then I was jolted out of my jubilant mood by an incredible vision. Uh, suddenly, in my mind's eye, there appeared to be a cloud. He's driving on the road, and he pulls over. Uh, so there's a cloud bank superimposed across the sky. But I had never seen a cloud bank like this one. So I pulled my car over uh, to take a closer look. Then I realized it was not a cloud bank. It was a honeycomb with honey dripping out onto the people below. The people were in a variety of postures. Some were reverent. They were weeping and holding their hands out to catch the honey and to taste it, even inviting others to take some of their honey. Others acted irritated, wiping the honey off themselves, complaining about the mess, uh, the stickiness. I was awestruck. Not knowing what to think, I prayed, Lord, what is this? He said, it's my mercy, John. For some people, it's a blessing, but for others, it's a hindrance. There's plenty for everyone. Don't ever beg me for healing again. The problem's not on my end. It's down there. There's mercy. It's his mercy. It's his kingdom. This is, this is part of what I think this is getting at. Peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. That there's a place where God's favor is being poured out upon 
humanity. His mercy is being poured out because that babe in the stall didn't just come for some, but he came for all. And here's where I think this is key for this whole, how do we celebrate in the pain, in the struggle? Um, There's an access to the king and his kingdom that is different things that we need in different seasons. There's peace at times, and we have access because he came for all, not just for a select few. In the places of deep pain, there's comfort. There's a comforter. And so maybe today, the place of celebration is, is simply because there's comfort. And, and we can break through and experience a king who's going to comfort us. Uh, for some, it might be that there's a, a, a healing moment where there's a place where his king, bringing his kingdom, brings healing. Uh, though, that, that doesn't always happen. But the good news, I believe, that brings great joy is that the king has come for all people. And the babe in the stall is for us all. And it has to do if we receive, if we receive him. And if we come to him, and if we receive the Jesus that was born in the stall. You've got to read the whole rest of the story for the unpacking of all of who he would become and what the rest of his life uh, would, would, untail, would, would entail. The Gospel of Luke is a great place to do that. But he came for us all. He came to bring mercy. That his, fav- his desire is that his favor would rest upon us all. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So the shepherds, they, they got enough. They were like, okay, let's do this. We're going to go see if this is really, if this is really true. And uh, there's a number of things that I think the you know, the, the, the manger, the feeding trough, a baby and the feeding trough could, could mean for us. But at least at the minimum, I, this was to be a sign, a signpost for the shepherds. Uh, because I think what God was doing here, again, we can read, I think, a few different things into this. But, but what seems to be clear is the shepherds, an unlikely group of people to carry potentially for the first time the message that God himself was coming as, as Savior, Messiah, and Lord. You know, I don't know that even Mary and Joseph knew the full extent of all of what was happening. You know, Mary seems to be treasuring, pondering, processing. And, um, and so the shepherds potentially are the first people 
who make this declaration that the babe in the stall has truly come as king for all and has come for savior of all. So they're off looking. How are they going to find this baby in the midst of Bethlehem? But because this was so significant, God is saying, here is the sign. You're going to find this baby in the straw of a feeding trough, and that's going to be the one. And this, they see. And to them, that's what they needed, was this sign that the Savior had come for all. And it was just as they had been told. There was actually a baby, which is not highly likely, uh, in a feeding trough in the midst of the straw. And then they become, I think there is something of the affirmation of God on the unlikeliest of people to be spreading this incredible announcement of his good news that's going to bring great joy for all people. To choose the shepherds to be the carriers of this message. And I think because it was the shepherds, there's something in this story, I don't think I'm reading too much into it, that's saying if he could... If he would choose to use the shepherds, he'd use anybody. He'd come to use anybody to share this good news. Because this babe, again, you can probably repeat it by this point, he he came in the stall for us all. So let's get back to 20. Verse 20. Oh, before I go there, Sean preached a great message last week on Mary, so i I'm not going to unpack that verse 19 there. Uh, But again, it's important to note, Mary had a certain response. She's treasuring these things. We don't see necessarily in Mary the same celebratory nature as the shepherds. And uh, that's where there is grace, even in this Christmas season, for us to ponder and reflect and relate to Jesus in in the way that we need to um, and what he's offering. Uh, But related to the shepherds and this incredible news that they were privy to hearing and then sharing. It says this, the sheep herders returned and they let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen. It turned out exactly the way they'd been told. The worship team could come forward. Uh, They're going to lead us in a final song as we respond. Um, For us, as we respond, as we think about responding, if this baby who's laying in the straw hadn't come for us all, there's not a whole lot to celebrate. But if he indeed did come with the eventual purpose of taking our bad report cards and nailing them to a cross so that we could have intimacy and union and relationship with him, well, there's something to celebrate there. If indeed he did come to bring a kingdom that would bring restoration into the broken places of the world, not like this, but in using us, shepherd-type people, potentially, to bring about this kingdom. And even here we sit, 2,000-plus years later, 
and the, the effects of what took place at this time in a king bringing a kingdom that would bring transformation and restoration into broken places. If that is not just for a select group, but it's indeed for all, there might be something to celebrate. And so as you see straw, as you see the stalls, as you see Jesus, maybe it's Christmas morning, maybe it's December 25th and you're opening gifts and you happen to see, you know, the nativity scene or a manger and There might be power in remembering that he came, because he came for all, that includes you and me. And if we'll accept him, we'll receive him, even in that moment, he's come for us. He's come for us all. And maybe for some of us, because he came for us all, He came for the family member that we're having a really hard time with. He came for the neighbor who maybe we have conflict with or have a really hard time with. He came with the uh, person on the other side of the political aisle that we absolutely can't understand because he came for all. So maybe there's something in this season of a response that, that God is doing and speaking that, that goes, I'm part of the all, but then the all are part of the all, if that makes sense. And uh, that in this season, that he's reminding us of this place to celebrate. Not fake celebration. But, but a genuine celebration of remembering the things that we've seen, that we've heard, and how this Jesus came for us, and then how this Jesus came for all. So if you would stand, the team's going to lead us in a song. And uh, if, you, if something resonates in you, the Lord's doing something, I want to invite you to just take a step forward in the front, or you could... Uh, grab somebody that you came with and, and, and pray with them because Jesus is here even now to bring his kingdom, to bring his deliverance, to be savior to us. And now maybe you've never known about Jesus. You've never known this baby who becomes a man and all of what that story means. Well, also, if that's you, come forward. Someone would love to talk with you a bit more about how you get to know this Jesus.